Hello and welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. I'm coming to you in this episode with a bit of a stinky cold, so excuse my slightly blocked up communication. I also have a dog sleeping at my legs and a kitten sleeping on my lap. What could possibly go wrong. Can you believe it? I've been recording and sharing this podcast with you now for two years. I just want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you who listens, follows, likes, reviews and shares this podcast. I am so, so grateful, eternally grateful. I get so many lovely messages and because of you, this podcast is downloaded in over 60 countries, which is wild. I still find it crazy. So I'm very, very grateful. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Now I've been thinking, how can I show my appreciation and thank you properly? And hopefully I've come up with a way which you will appreciate. If you don't already know, I have an online how not to community who have access to all my digital courses covering topics from anxiety to big emotions and everything in between. They also get access to my monthly 60 Minutes with Dr Mary Han online workshops which are £8 to non-members and a community app where I host weekly catch-up sessions and answer questions. Subscription has been £37 a month and I have decided to reduce this to £9.79. Not just for the how not to screw up your kid's birthday, but for always, including for those who are already part of the community. So this means if you regularly attend my monthly 60 Minutes with Dr Mary Han, where the tickets are £8, for just £1.99 a month more, You'll get access to all my courses. You get to pick my brains every week. You get access to all the resources in the hub. You get to hang out with a wonderful bunch of parents, just like you. Sound interesting? To sign up or to find out more, simply head over to my website and click on the How Not To Community link at the top. We'll also share the link in this week's resource and the show notes. Back to this week's episode which is episode 107. Probably one of the most common daily parenting challenges I get asked about. And with some tweaks here and there, we really can create so much more harmony. Now, if you're listening to this and you have a single child, they don't have any siblings, please do still listen because a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about, the strategies that I'm going to talk about are also helpful when we're looking at dynamics between friendships or cousins or those sorts of things. So don't just think that this is only helpful if you're parenting more than one child. It's just as helpful if you're parenting just one child. I'm going to start off by being totally honest and upfront and saying that sibling arguments, disagreements and fallouts are absolutely normal in the same way as it's typical for friends to have arguments and to fall out. They're really genuinely normal. Just think back to your own relationships with your siblings, your cousins, your friends when you were younger. You know, we are, siblings are by nature Um, vying for a limited source, which is your attention. So it's unrealistic to expect that we're going to have happy, 
siblings all of the time. You know, I often think back, those who know me very well and have known me for a very long time will therefore obviously know my sister. I'm one of three. Um, my brother and the middle child, my brother is the eldest and my sister is younger. There's a much bigger age gap between my brother and I, there's seven years. But my sister and I, it's about like two and a bit years. And those who've known us very well will know that my sister and I used to argue a lot. I'm genuinely talking about a huge amount. They would see us arguing on the way to school because we used to walk to school together in primary school, probably from when I was in the equivalent, I guess, of year five. So I was would have been in year five and my sister would have been in year three. And we caught the bus or we walked. Um, and then when we both went to the same secondary school. So people who know us very well would have seen us arguing constantly. My mother would pull her hair out constantly and say, I could, goodness me, why do you do have to argue all of the time? I've never known anything like it. This is not normal. And we have the most incredible relationship now. So, so I don't want you to be thinking that you're doing something wrong. But there are some common aspects, I think, in terms of what we do as parents that do amplify, make those sort of sibling scenarios more problematic. But before we go in, I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm really focusing in on three common mistakes that we make as parents and what we can do to rectify it. Before I go into that, I want to just give a bit of context and a bit of background and foundations that we need to kind of um, consider for a moment. And it's this notion that fundamentally, as human beings, we have a tendency to compare ourselves. And when you have siblings or you've got close relatives or neighbours or friendships where you spend a lot of time together, then that comparison is amplified much more. And so as individuals, we have strengths and we have areas of development. So the people we spend a huge amount of time with, whether that's siblings or, or friends that we spend a lot of time with, that kind of holds up to the mirror sometimes to areas of ourselves that we need to be working on. And so when we're looking at, you know, what tends to happen as parents is we're caught up in the day-to-day -day moments of those sibling arguments and navig and sort of refereeing them and dealing with them. The reason why it's so important for us to have some form of reflective practice as parents and why I really advocate these sort of weak family meetings is that it forces us to take a step back to kind of look at what's going on in the family from a sort of a higher level perspective rather than the micromanagement of day-to-day -day is because we're then much more able to pick up on aspects of sibling conflict that comes around from this notion that maybe we've got a child that's feeling particularly uh, lacking in confidence or maybe they're struggling with their friendships but they can see a sibling, another friend that is doing really well. Maybe they're struggling academically and they're not that they're actually struggling academically, but they're struggling with their perception of how well they're doing academically. And so that kind of tarnishes, has an, a knock-on effect in terms of their confidence. Maybe something's going on with the dynamics of their friendships at school and that's having a knock-on effect. So it's really important that we, of course, we have to deal with the day-to-day -day and those sort of situations, you know, and those are the micro, you know, we're really looking at it from that level, but we have to also have to pan the lens out and look at broad and that overview of what else is going on in my child's life that might also be impacting them. Are there some uh, changes that they're going through in terms of their own personal development, in terms of their academic achievement, in terms of their perception of themselves, in terms of their friendship, in terms of their sleep, going back to the whole bucket that I talk about 
all of the time? What what are those sorts of things that are going on that means when they're interacting with their sibling or interacting with their close friends, that this is spilling over? The force that's behind a lot of their behaviour is coming from that. So I think it's really important that we always deal with the situations in the moment, which I'll talk to you about, but also take a bit of a wider lens as well. I just think that that's really important. We just need to think of that and and also to reset our expectations. I hear this so much and my mother was guilty of this and I've been guilty of this as well. We have this notion that our children, because they're siblings um, or cousins or their family, should automatically love each other. You know, that they, they should always get along, that they should have an appreciation for that sibling. We have to shift our perspective on that. Just because we are born into the same family does not necessarily mean that we are going to like the people that are in our family. And that's not an indictment on family. And and that's not saying, you know, that I'm suggesting that we just tell them that, you know, you don't have to like anyone in your family. But I think when we force this huge amount of pressure, because they are your sibling, you should love them. You should get on with them. You should be kind to them. You should be all of whatever it is that we tell them that they should be. Whereas actually, we just have to accept that we're by nature different temperaments and sometimes we don't always get on with that temperament at a particular time and that's okay but at the bottom line what we're teaching as part of the foundations and the values of this rising building that's happening with our children is that we have a foundational respect for other people we're kind and we're thoughtful to other people and whether those other people happen to be our siblings or they're our friends or their teachers or their carers or their grandparents or their strangers that we don't even know you know it's about the values that we have in terms of how we treat other human beings and take out this idea that because they're a sibling that we have to treat them any other way so I think that that's a kind of really crucial thing that we need we need to remember so let's start with a typical sibling fraction situation and I want to I'm going to use in this scenario because I think it's really important to sort of set the scene about what typically happens so here's a typical scenario it starts off innocently enough there's a small disagreement voices become raised there's shouting then screaming and one of your children races to find you in floods of tears sobbing so much that you can't make out what they're actually saying You ask what happened and you get one story from the sobbing child and the other runs in, whether it's another child or the friend, to defend their actions and gives you a different version of events. Who do you believe and what do you do about it? Does that sound familiar? Let's be honest, we've all been there, me as much as everyone else. Nothing is more upsetting than watching your own child at each other's throats. You know, it's, it breaks your heart, doesn't it, when you see that these gorgeous little babies that you've had are practically wanting to kill each other, either physically or in the words that they use. And they seem to show absolutely no regard for each other's feelings or their sensitivities. Now, whether your children engage in the physical or the verbal mudslinging, or both, it can create such an atmosphere at home that it either makes school holidays uncomfortable at the least or downright unmanageable at its worst. Well, school holidays or even weekends. So I'm going to focus on what I believe are the three common mistakes that we make as parents and what we ought to be doing instead. Say this genuinely from a perspective of, you know, I've kind of condensed down what I personally have learned 
the hard way where my children went, pretty much went through a, an absolutely dire stage where they just had the most monumental arguments. And it's not it's not always been the, the case. You know, I have I have been very fortunate in that my my two have got on really well, but it's not always been that way. They have had a really horrid period where, you know, I think they'll probably both be honest that there was a lot of kind of loathing and they're very different characters. The sort of sibling dynamics play out with everybody. So let's start with the first common mistake that I think we make. And it's, it's when we get involved in arguments and the disagreements that we've not witnessed our self because that's a really important thing that I'm saying here. Now this is the single most common reason we get in the way because a lot of the things around sibling dynamics we amplify by getting in the way. Now, you know, it's this it's the scenario that I've given about, you know, one child rushes in usually in tears and they give one side of their of, of the argument and then we ask the other child and we often do it with an accusatory sort of what have you done? And then we end up refereeing backwards and forwards, trying to piece together what happened and who's to blame. The mistake that we make in this particular scenario, because we've not witnessed it, we've heard it, and let's face it, quite often we know our children very well. We often know who's the instigator. You know, when I think back to the scenario with my sister and I, I was great with words and reasonably good at holding my temper. You know, don't get me wrong, I had a temper, but I could pretty much hold it, whereas my sister, bless her, was much more volatile. No right or wrong, it was just the way that we were. So when we argued, I knew, as your children know, and no doubt you knew with your siblings, we end up, we know which buttons to press, we know what's going to trigger. And if you've got a child who's particularly good with their words, and you've got a child who just can't hold that temper in quite as well, whether they get physical or whether they get verbal with it, so we know the scenarios. And so quite often what will happen is you'll get the child who's often quite physical or tends to do the mudslinging is the one that gets tipped over the edge. So we know little Mary Han has been niggling sister and has caused the argument, but it's the other sibling who then creates the scenario by pushing or saying anything unkind. Just knowing that that happens means when we get into the refereeing, if we get caught in the refereeing, we make these poor judgments in that we're trying to make a call on something that we've not seen based on the evidence that our children give us. And let's be honest, there will always be a winner and there will always be a loser as far as your children. And we have taken sides. And when we have not seen it, it can be really difficult for that amplification of those, you know, you've taken sides not to have an impact on our children. When we've witnessed an argument, we can be much more objective about, I saw you do X and the impact of X on your sibling was Y and this is what happened. It's really objective. We can take the emotion out and whilst our children will be upset that there's been some consequences and that they've been sort of, you know, we've had to have a conversation with them about the way that they've behaved. They can't argue with what we've physically seen, what we've actually seen and what we're dealing with. When we get caught up in refereeing disagreements where we've not observed them, is that we've not been able to observe the subtle nuances. We're not able to address and talk about the very specific things that we have seen. And so from our child's perspective, 
we're then ending up taking sides. And we all know, because we've all been there, you know, this whole you love X child more than you love me, which is simply isn't the case. We might have specific preferences. We might find one child easier because their temperament is very similar to us. But we love our children dearly. But when we're refereeing and when we're trying to dole out consequences based on evidence that our children are giving us, and let's face it, we know as human beings, if forget a sibling argument, if you and I were at a party and we had a conversation with someone and we were then asked to recall that conversation, our version of that conversation will share some common things, but our interpretation will therefore be different. We don't remember things as they truly are as human beings. We put in our slant from our perceptions and our experiences and our reality and how we interpret facial expressions and tone of voice and what's communicated. So we're never going to be able to objectively do that. So my view is when you're in those particular situations where your children come up to you and there's been an argument where you've not been able to witness it, you simply can't intervene. So if you haven't seen it, you can't referee it end of. That's it. Instead, we have to damage limit fallout of those sort of situations. We can say, I can see that you're both clearly upset. Sadly, I wasn't there to see what had happened. And then you're just trying to say, now let's see if we can help you feel a little bit happier and less upset. And then let's move on because you can't referee it. Now, what my advice in terms of how do we you know, it's much more about how can we intervene to avoid these things from escalating. So my advice is basically is that you intervene and you separate children earlier when you can begin to hear the voices are raised and you know the inevitable is likely to happen. You know, you do the separation quietly and calmly and matter-of-factly. You know, I can hear voices are getting raised. It sounds like we're not having a happy time or we're not playing nicely or we're not for finding it really difficult um, and I think it's probably best for now that we just have a little bit of space and then we can come back together. So Sophie, can you please kind of do this um, for a moment? And George, can you please do that? And maybe in a few, in a little while, we can come back together and try again. Now, I know we can't be watching our children all of the time. And how can we ever expect to get anything else done if we're constantly having to listen? However, my honest counter argument to that is the amount of time that you spend refereeing. So if you are a parent that's listening to this that has nowhere near sibling harmony, you're refereeing a huge amount. My argument would be the amount of time that you spend refereeing and sorting out arguments that actually if you just spent a bit of time, yes, there's a lot of watch, watching, well, not even watching, but listening and then intervening and then getting involved and separating. I would argue that what you'll find is it, you'll reap the, the benefits. It will yield long-term rewards over and above anything else I have tried. So the first one is do not get involved in arguments and disagreements that you've not witnessed. Instead, adopt a very straightforward, I didn't see it, and then mop up the aftermath without making any judgment, without asking for any clarification on what's happened and then give them some space, but instead try and adopt a perspective of listening for voices beginning to get raised, and then intervene to just say, it doesn't sound like we're getting along, there seems to be a bit of a disagreement, and it doesn't sound like we're really managing to sort this out at the moment, so why don't we just give ourselves a little bit of a break, and then we'll come back together, why don't you go there and do this, and why don't you go there and do that, so that's number one. 
The second mistake that we commonly make is telling our children that they love each other as their siblings. Now, I've talked about this before. I cannot remember the number of times my own mother told me as a child how I should love my sister and how lucky I was to have her. Now, of course, as an adult, I can appreciate that. But as an eight-year-old who just wanted to play post office on her own without her six-year-old messing things up, it didn't feel that way. You know, this idea, you know, I just sort of felt my sister was quite annoying at the time. So children don't get to choose their siblings and they are entitled, you know, we talk about this idea about emotions, they're entitled to get annoyed, frustrated, irritated, jealous and downright peed off if they want to. Their emotions are legitimate and, and you know, they are. And what we want to do as parents is to help them to make more appropriate choices about what they do with their behaviour in response to that. So if you have got a child who's getting annoyed with their sibling who keeps knocking things over or who doesn't understand the game properly, then we need to acknowledge that. So we need to acknowledge how our child is feeling and then ask how they might be able to make a better choice next time. It's, you know, I think that that's really important. Now, of course, we don't do that in the heat of the moment. We do that afterwards when things are, are calm. But something along the lines of, look, I can see that you're really annoyed with your brother, Ben. All you want to do is build your Lego in peace. And he keeps coming over and interfering and moving the pieces. You wish he would just go away and play somewhere else. However, pushing him and calling him rude names is not how we tell others that we're frustrated. Next time that happens, what could you do instead? And if your child kind of looks blankly at you, then you can offer a a couple of possible solutions and then ask them to choose. We're just simply, let's lose that narrative. Let's lose that constant. You should love your sibling and you're so lucky that you've got that. And I was an only child and I didn't have an, oh, I wouldn't have given to have had a younger brother or an older sister or whatever it is. Let's remove that and simply say, it's absolutely fine for you to be frustrated and irritated. That's just not the most appropriate way that you do that. How might we best do that? Sort of things that we do that can create some of these issues. The first one is getting involved in arguments that we and disagreements that we referee that we haven't seen. The second is telling our children that they should love each other. And the third one is talking in terms of treating everyone equally rather than accordance to their needs. Now, this is such a common trap that we fall into. We want to treat our children equally because that seems to be the most equitable apportionment of our time. And yet the reality is so much more difficult, so much more difficult. Children measure time differently to us. So the time you spend bathing a young child, helping them with their homework, practicing their spellings or even telling them off is all counted. When you have an older child who needs less help, or who is more compliant, then they can often feel that they're marginalised and that they're not getting the same amount of of time with you because you seem to be spending more time telling that other child off or correcting a child or having to supervise a much younger child. So instead, I want you to shift your conversations and the narrative away from, you know, I'm trying to love you equally, spending time with you equally, to instead talking about treating your children differently based on need. Time is a portion based on need. The five-year-old who's just started school needs more time from you when they get back from school because they can't do their homework independently, you know, which is different to your seven-year-old who's had you there 
sitting with them, helping them with their homework, but can now do things independently. Your 13-year-old is likely to need more time to decompress challenges that they've had about friendships or something they've seen on social media or comparison or those sort of typical challenges that maybe your nine-year-old who's not caught up in that aspect of comparison quite yet. Now, absolutely set time aside each day to spend with each child. That's really important, but don't get sucked into the trap of communicating to your children that you treating them equally and spending equal amount of time with them when you simply can't be more be honest and upfront talk about that you know you're apportioning based on need when your seven-year-old gets frustrated that you're spending time with your five-year-old going through homework explain to them that when you were at that stage that's what we did when your five-year-old is frustrated because you're having to bathe the two-year-old and spend lots of time supervising them and picking them up and feeding them explain to them that it's all based on need they need you more because they're less able to be independent because and that you were that was equally the same for them but the time that you get to spend with them snuggling reading stories is where you get the catch-up time because you can't necessarily do that with your two-year-old so it's really trying to avoid this trap that we get into about loving our children equally and spending equal amounts of time with them but really focusing in on it's about need and it ebbs and flows so I hope you find those three helpful sort of ways so that you can pick up when if you've got sibling dynamics happening or you know arguments between two friends that are happening all of the time. You can look at those three and say, well, which of the ones, which one am I sort of feeling that I'm probably most guilty of? And tackle that one first. If you simply tackled one of those three, you'll notice a significant improvement almost immediately. So my give this week is going to be a checklist of those three. So you can avoid those these common pitfalls. So you head over to my free resource library, drmaryhand.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the checklist. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my podcast episodes. As ever, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could continue to follow, review and rate this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time.